What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We got a lot of show today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than Ben Carollo, host of Galaxy Brain, and she streams on Twitch as Bleep Blanc. Ben, writer and TYT contributor, should be an amazing breakdown. Okay. Top story of the day. I am now concluding that Donald Trump, former president of the United States, is in fact under DOJ investigation. Now I'm going to connect some dots here. Before I do that, I want to go to a snippet, an interview given by the Attorney General. Here it is. You said in no uncertain terms the other day that no one is above the law. Yeah. That said, um, the indictment of a former president, of a perhaps candidate for president, would arguably tear the country apart. Is that your concern as you make your decision down the road here? Do you have to think about things like that? Look, we pursue justice without fear or favor. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who was criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th or any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another accountable. That's what we do. We don't pay any attention to other issues with respect to that. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change your schedule or, or how you move forward or don't move forward? I'll say again that uh, we will hold accountable anyone who is criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer, legitimate lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next. Okay. So I have some more background to my conclusion. There's a movement that has been taking place that would indicate strongly there's a targeted, there's a focused investigation from the federal government on the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. The move by the Justice Department to bring two top aides from former Vice President Mike Pence, in front of a federal grand jury is the most aggressive step taken yet by prosecutors investigating the plots to subvert the 2020 election. It signals that the department's probe has reached inside of former President Donald Trump's White House and that investigators are looking at conduct directly related to Trump and his closest allies efforts to overturn his election defeat. So let me give you some insight into the individuals that have already testified before this federal grand jury that has remained 
pretty much quiet as it relates to the media. Former Pence chief of staff, Mark Short, testified in front of a grand jury in DC on Friday. CNN confirmed that. Fellow Pence aide, Greg Jacob, testified in recent weeks. CNN has learned from a source close to the investigation. The questions to Jacob and Short included a focus on the fake elector scheme and the role of Trump lawyers, including John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani. Let me tell you why this is interesting. Now, I've said from day one, the most clear cut criminal offense is actually the fake electors because they literally signed an affidavit swearing and affirming that the information they were presenting was in fact true. For example, the fake elector scheme created a dynamic that was so contrary to the law that it in fact, there's no question. If it happened, it's real, it's illegal, and there's no wiggle room here. You sign an affidavit swearing and affirming that what you are saying is true, that means your penalty would be perjury if it is not. Let's go to the state of Georgia. The grand jury investigation into Donald Trump, remember the state of Georgia by way of Fulton County, a special grand jury, they are criminally investigating Trump for election tampering. They are using the gateway of the phone call between Donald Trump and a guy named Brad Raffensperger, who's the chief elections officer for the state of Georgia. That's the gateway, that was their gateway that gave them the probable cause to continue. Now, this special grand jury is quite magnificent because it has the ability to investigate any crimes that it comes across during their investigation. In other words, the target can be expanded. They do not have to stay on the target of the investigation, it can be expanded. Now, the Fulton County Grand Jury is in fact investigating fake electors out of the state of Georgia. The same investigation of fake electors is happening right now with the Department of Justice. The person who popularized the scheme, fake electors, is actually Eastman and Giuliani, the attorneys for Donald Trump. If you can show direct and clear pathways between Trump, Eastman, Giuliani, and their basically mafia routine to persuade other lawmakers and those who were election officials to actually sign these fake affidavits, you have a crime. You have a real crime that can be documented and prosecuted. There's more. Short and Jacob, the two individuals we know have now testified before this DOJ, before the grand jury. Short and Jacob were both present in key meetings leading up to the January 6th terrorist attack that were part of a pressure campaign to convince Pence to disrupt the certification of President Joe Biden's electoral win. Jacob, a former legal advisor to Pence, has participated in the White in the House January 6th Select Committee investigation, even testifying publicly at a hearing last month. He has not responded to CNN inquiries about his grand jury testimony, however. Now remember, grand jury testimony is private, it is secret. So without the confirmation, you will not know these details until they are revealed. There's more in approving the release of documents, the United States District Judge David O. Carter. Now remember this, David O. Carter 
indicated that he thought Trump's conduct may have been criminal, concluding that it was, and I quote, more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. Well, this federal judge said it, I highlighted it and said, this is the first time we have had someone sitting on a federal bench actually illuminate the illegal activity of Donald Trump. Once again, the judge was talking about the fake elector scheme in context. The illegality of the plan was obvious, the judge wrote. Our nation was founded on the peaceful transition of power, epitomized by George Washington, laying down his sword to make way for democratic elections. Ignoring this history, President Trump vigorously campaigned for the vice president to single-handedly determine the results of the 2020 election. Once again, the judge is pointing to the fake elector scheme. Why? Because Trump wanted Mike Pence to in fact certify electors, but certify fake electors. That was the scheme. It wasn't simply to reject the electors, it was to certify the wrong ones or the fake ones or the illegal ones. That was the scheme. There's more. And the Department of Justice has issued multiple subpoenas in recent weeks seeking information on all seven battleground states where Trump's campaign assembled false electors as part of the bid to subvert the Electoral College. Among those subpoenaed, they had GOP officials in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania. CNN confirmed that. A grand jury subpoena to Arizona State Senator Karen Fan. Remember that one? This was obtained by CNN through a public records request underscores how investigators have cast a wide net with their efforts focused on the fake elector scheme at the Trump administration and state level. The subpoena to Fan, which led to the partisan audit of ballots in Maricopa County, indicates prosecutors are seeking communications about any topics between any individuals associated with the Trump administration, Congress, or Trump's reelection effort. And there's more. There's a congressman out of the state of Georgia. He was questioned by the FBI. He was one of these pro-Trump guys. And he went on record and said, listen, the FBI wanted to know, did I talk directly to Donald Trump or not? They're trying to make the connection. This congressman has already gone on record. Now there's a lot of movement here. And obviously, what I'm saying is still speculation. But based on the dots that I see in front of me, I hope they connect them. Because more so, they see the dots than any of us could. They're inside of it. You don't think they know that what Trump did was 100% illegal. Of course they know. All right, in all of this, another tragedy. We are probably very close to indicting a former president. And the current president, Joe Biden, well, here it is. A new poll finds 75% of Democrats and Democratic leaning voters want the party to nominate someone other than Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Yeah, um, I agree, all right, I agree. Uh, At this point, we're in a radical time. We need radical leadership to balance it out. Normative leadership, mediocre leadership, moderate leadership will do nothing to the extremes that are happening in politics right now. 
you no longer have a conservative party. You have a party of de facto criminals who do not give a damn about the US Constitution. They do not care about democracy. As a matter of fact, in the double digits, those who used to say they were Republicans are now okay with this country becoming a dictatorship under the leadership of Trump. Being thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, all of this really ties together. Like, you know, it's good that there's a criminal investigation happening of Trump, right? But how long has it been? I mean, it's been years now, right? Like a year and a half. And this is these all tie together, right? These all tie together. Joe Biden really is not using the full powers that he has as the president of the United States. He has been really, really slow to act on basically anything. It seems like he's been considering student debt forgiveness for an eternity now. And with the reality of where the country is going, with the reality of the you know Republicans doing so much voter suppression. Republicans actively pushing against even any type of semblance of democracy. I mean, all of these things are really tied together. The fact that Joe Biden keeps talking about wanting a strong Republican Party. Well, the Republicans are literally, I mean, let's be serious, right? Outside of a outside of a Ron DeSantis rally, there were people waving swastikas, right? That's where the country is today. That's where the country is today. And we still have Joe Biden saying we want a strong Republican Party. We still have Joe Biden, right, going very, very slow in prosecuting not only Trump, but the other people that are like associated with Trump and associated with Jane. January 6th, we see like the kid gloves are on for the Republicans, right? The kid gloves are on for the Republicans. And then when you have people criticize Joe Biden from the left, Joe Biden responds usually by attacking them and trying to win over the moderate Republicans. And it's just, we're an incredibly dangerous situation. And like we've seen this game before, right? There are plenty of other countries where we've seen this sort of rise of these overtly fascist movements. and. If you capitulate, if you compromise, if your whole goal is to win over the reasonable fascists, then you're doomed to failure. And it seems that Joe Biden is committed to repeating that failure. Yeah, I don't think there has been a Democratic president in modern era with numbers as low as this inside of the Democratic Party. And Biden, you gotta think about this, Biden is not an offensive guy. He's just wrong on policy. And leadership dynamics, not a mean person, but he's not connecting the policy dynamic to the people who put him in office. All right. Okay, very horrific story. White male driving down the street, racist as hell, decides he may get points for running over black children. He's been arrested. Here's the video. Yep, then he calls them the stupid N word. Let's put up his picture full mass here. Uh, this POS has been arrested. Mark Hall was the driver in the video. He has been charged with nine counts of simple assault, attempt by physical menace to create fear. One of the teen riders recounted what happened, saying, and I quote, I'm riding my bike, Jeremiah Crum said. The first thing that I said was Jabari move. Hall can be heard on the video saying, finna get a few points before driving through the group at 37 miles per hour. When we seen him coming, Jeremiah and Jabari had to run. 
into the ditch, Austin Hill said. And he clipped the back of Jeremiah's bike, damaging the front wheel. He could have killed those children, severely injured them. He made contact, called them the N-word, lamb, continued to go about his day. I wonder how many times has this scumbag done something similar, all right? Uh, it's still people that's like that in a word. Crumb said, even though you don't want to see it, you have to accept the truth and what it is that is still people like that in the community. Initially, you, you got to think about this. Initially, they refused to charge Mr. Hall. Initially, the authorities refused to take action. And then parents of these teenagers got involved. That is when they decided to finally arrest them. And you have to understand the parents are advocating for their children. They're advocating the government who should have made an action against Mr. Hall, the person who almost killed children immediately. That's what the government should have done. Uh, here are parents and activists. It's unacceptable. And honestly, I'm not gonna be quiet about it. This is not something that's gonna get swept under the rug. I'm gonna be the loudest person in this county if I gotta stand by myself. But enough is enough. You're not gonna stand by yourself. He's supposed to be, he's supposed to be scared if he's gonna pass a test or not. Not whether someone wants to take his life and he doesn't even know this individual and hasn't done anything to him. That's not what he should be worried about. So are we gonna stand or not? We are standing. What are we gonna do? We can't accept this no longer. This is not something we're gonna brush under the rug. Y'all gonna hear from Temple County. I guarantee you if a black male was driving a truck and there were a group of white teenagers in front of him and he yelled a racial slur, tried to hit them, made contact with them, it would not take the white community to mobilize in order to get him arrested. See, this is what we're talking about when we highlight the elements of white privilege bias in the system, systematic prejudice and oppression. What should be normative is now out of the norm. It should be routine for police officers to make the move without the community having to make a rally. All right, uh, being thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I'll just jump in with a little bit of speculation. I mean, if the police were refusing to charge this person, right? like. I mean, the person driving the car obviously thinks it's a funny joke. He obviously sees black children and doesn't see them as human beings worthy of his consideration. In fact, he gets glee about the idea of harming them, literal children, right? And so here's my speculation. I, I'm gonna, I would bet that there are police officers in that police station that laughed and also viewed it as a joke because what else? I mean, you see kids that are actively being put in danger by somebody who's like fantasizing about killing them, about running them over, right? And like, we can't erase the reality that cars get increasingly more dangerous because typically right wingers push for like these even bigger, more massive cars that have a flat front instead of a sloped front to make the car accidents more deadly, to make hitting pedestrians more deadly, right? Like, 
This is something that right wingers have been fantasizing about for a long time. We actually have seen police officers charging into groups of protesters. And you might say, oh, well, just protesters, they're just fantasizing about killing protesters. But I'll tell you this look, in the minds of these right wingers, right, they'll say the word protesters, but the reality is, it's basically just black people in general. These people are super, super racist, right? They, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they know what they can't say, and and they know what they can say, you know. Yeah. yeah, they know how to speak the code. All right, we're gonna follow that story and see exactly how they prosecute uh, this individual. Horrific, right? Jailed guards get bribed, they give keys to male inmates in the jail. So the male inmates can go to the other side of the jail and rape the female inmates in the facility. Let's put up the pictures of the individuals at the center of this now investigation. Clark County Sheriff Jamie Knoll and former jail officer David Lowe. They are at the center of a civil rights lawsuit. This is in Clark County, Indiana. A civil rights lawsuit is being filed on behalf of eight women who allege they were sexually assaulted at the Clark County Jail. The lawsuit against Clark County Sheriff Jamie Knoll, former jail officer David Lowe and other unknown jail officers. Let me give you some background to this. The lawsuit alleges, An ex-corrections officer gave male inmates keys to access the female side of the jail, which allegedly led to attacks, threats, and rapes behind bars. The lawsuit calls it a night of terror. The lawsuit claims the 2021 incident on October 3rd and October 24th started with a $1,000 bribe behind bars from David Lowe. David Lowe is the officer who was working. A now former corrections officer who's facing a separate felony criminal charge, okay? So he gets a $1,000 bribe, by the way, he's already admitted to it. He gets a $1,000 bribe in order to allow male inmates to rape female inmates. This is sick, but there's more. With the keys, the inmates are accused of entering the part of the jail housing female inmates. The female inmates were then allegedly harassed, threatened, assaulted, and raped. The lawsuit alleges surveillance cameras captured the male inmates entering the female inmate cell. And the incident lasted for hours. No jail officer on duty came to the women's aid. Now, let me highlight something right here. While Lowe was in fact fired right after this incident, he was not charged. While Lowe will probably be the one who takes the heat all the way, the reality is the entire shift was in on it. You see, the place where the sale was located is actually under 24 hour surveillance being watched by deputies. Those deputies for basically a day decided to ignore, completely ignore the rapes they saw in front of them. They decided to ignore the fact that male inmates were walking around with guard keys going inside of women's cells in order to rape them. They ignored it, they're still working there. The suit alleges that after the incident, the women who complained were punished 
by jail staff. Once again, indicative of their complicit action by protecting and covering this crime up. The lawsuit also alleges that the violation of the plaintiff's constitutional rights was the result not only of a single bad actor, Mr. Lowe, but also due to a systemic failure on behalf of the Clark County Sheriff. There was another lawsuit filed June 21. And that lawsuit, it actually involves 20 women, okay? 20 women listed as plaintiffs. In that federal lawsuit, the women also claim the alleged attack by male prisoners went uninterrupted for hours. Women were harassed, sexually assaulted, threatened, and completely terrified, said Bart Butto, an attorney for one of the plaintiffs. When I met with each and every one of these women, and they broke down repeatedly, you get the impression, the understanding of what these women went through. Now. Uh, this boils my blood. Everybody under that sheriff, including the sheriff, should have a federal investigation. You have the prerequisite, it's a civil rights issue. It's a deprivation of rights. You can even do this under a few other statutes that are available when you eliminate a person's ability to move due process, you are ripping this away. The DOJ has to investigate, these people have to be arrested, not just Low, not just the sheriff, but everybody who was involved in this. And we do not get to turn away from this. This is a mass rape, just because these women are in a facility, just because they are temporarily incarcerated, does not mean they traded their humanity in order to be in that facility, they are still humans. And these women were raped in mass in this jail. Now, if we can turn away from that, if we can ignore that, if that doesn't make us feel a certain way, we are lost. We are worse than I ever imagined. Somebody needs to go to jail. And right now, nobody has. So I'm going to stay on this for the entire year or more until a proper investigation is done. Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate reality is this is at the root of the prison system that exists in the United States, right? Some people say it's for correction, some people say it's for punishment, some people say it's for rehabilitation. But the foundational root, the structure, the design of the prison system in the United States is built entirely on the premise that your humanity is revocable. That is entirely what the prison system was meant to be since the very beginnings of it in the United States. It was quite literally a way to force people into slavery, right? After slavery ended, right? They found an easy way of like, oh, well, let's just build this prison system. We'll create all of these fake reasons to throw people in prison so that we can strip away all of their rights and lease them back out to these same plantation owners. That's the core structural reality behind the prison system as it exists in the United States of America today. And you can see that very clearly in the way that prisons 
go about operating. And this is why there are so many people out there who are prison abolitionists, who fundamentally challenge the core of the institution itself. Because the very nature of the structure of the system allows for things like this to happen. Because it denies the humanity of those who are incarcerated. It re-victimizes people, it creates crime. It is a violent system that commits violence against people who by and large a lot of the people and like a huge plurality of people who are in prison are people who are not violent people. They got swept up for like nonviolent drug crimes, couldn't pay traffic tickets, you name it. And it is just it is just absolutely sickening to see. Yeah, very sickening and obviously that facility has a no rate policy. Once again, culture eating policy alive. We got more on the other side, indisputable stick and stay. What's happening? Welcome back. Got a lot of show left. Uh, don't forget the watch list. Make sure you join J.R. Jackson. Live weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Watch live daily and follow on Facebook.com forward slash watchlist TYT. And subscribe, YouTube.com forward slash watchlist TYT. It's an amazing show. All right, let me read some of the comments. Uh, v says, I really hope that he holds true to his word and does an actual criminal investigation. And this guy gets convicted for what he did, talking about the DOJ possibly investigating Trump. Mickey C, the Silverhead Dragon says, hey Garland, we're not stupid right wingers. We can see that you're avoiding a direct answer. You're asked specifically about Trump and you sidestep by using a generality rather than addressing the question. And that's expected of people like Garland. I just hope that it is in the hands of a real grand jury, all right, who may not feel political pressure uh, one way or the other, but they followed the actual evidence. Uh, Shikata Ganai, Beer Dragon, uh, Trump will uh, be subpoenaed, will appear, will admit, nay, publicly celebrate his guilt, and will walk away. Yes, that is bad. Uh, let me go to uh, thank you for that to Ski42. Uh, the responsibility in this edition lies with those who are aware of it. They know it, they know the truth, and they cower from uh, confrontation or collude. Uh, with it against justice. Uh, let me give some thank yous. Moan Dragon, thank you for gifting five uh, indisputable. Thank you for that. It's beautiful. A lot of people. Um, also, welcome, Sapper Finance. I appreciate you. Welcome to Indisputable. All right. Got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen Wood. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Back away. Yeah, you racist son of a bitch. Don't touch me, mate. Don't touch me. That can hurt me. Don't touch me. Touch me. This on live on Facebook. Live on Facebook. Good. Move away. 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 Go off. Have you got it? Oh, man, you'll get run over by the car. Don't get hit by the car, mate. You're ready. Go on. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. I'm going. I'm going on. Keep on going. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do your deal. Keep on going. Put that on Facebook. I'll kill you. Do it. What I say I kill you? Do it. Oh, do it. I, oh, you think you're hard, do you? No, I don't think I'm hard at all. 
I got more video. This male Karen obviously has Karenicity running deep inside of him. Committed multiple criminal um, assaults as well as terroristic threats. And here's what we know so far. This UK male Karen used the P word, a British um, originated word meant to be a slur against people of Pakistani and South Asian descent. That's why he was being called a racist, which he is. Here's the next video. I have to, I have to protect myself. How have you? I'm just defending myself, I'm not doing anything else, mate. He assaulted a, a, a homeless man over there. He assaulted a homeless man. I'm not scared of you, punk. You racist bastard. I've got it all recorded. Don't worry, mate. Yes, I'm. I am a. That's right. I'm actually Indian, but you wouldn't know any difference, would you? I really appreciate this person who recorded this, not only because of the exposure of this particular male, Karen, but because of what led to the confrontation. According to our information, the victim here was coming to the aid of an unhoused Iraq vet who was being verbally abused by that male, Karen and his companion, right? A couple um, are said to have intervened in the incident around the same time the victim began recording. But once the couple realized he was recording them, the male Karen went after the victim as you saw. Uh, later that evening, two police officers were later seen arresting the male Karen outside of the pub where the attack ended. The police received a report of a racially aggravated incident. So this male Karen ended up being locked up. Okay, Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, like we gotta give credit to like the heroic act of like, look, if you see somebody homeless, right, that's getting attacked by these like right wing chuds, like, you know, it's very brave to like step up because he knew what he was doing, right? If he, if you see somebody that's like going after somebody, right? And then you intervene and you're recording them and stuff like that, you know that it's being drawn towards you, right? Obviously, if he's a person of color, he knows the situation that like this racist is gonna direct his racist violence over, you know, whoever like he can target in the moment. So like he he brought this, like, you know, he obviously like distracted this guy from somebody who is like obviously like more marginalized who's struggling from homelessness um doesn't necessarily have like ability to defend themselves uh to put it on himself so that like you know thankfully the situation didn't escalate any further obviously that person was threatening to kill him right so it could be pretty scary and so we have to recognize the heroism but this is where we really need to expand on this and touch on like the attack of homeless people cuz this is something right wingers do all the time right like there are random people who attack homeless people like uh, for example out of Portland the proud boys right a lot of people hear stories about them getting into scuffs with you know anti fascists but what a lot of people don't hear about is the fact that when they can't find any anti-fascists running around, the Proud Boys will run around beating up homeless people, right? And that reality is something that should be scary to everybody because really the way these people see it is they're willing to commit violence against whoever is convenient and whoever they think they can get away with. Yeah, which highlights the fact that they are cowards. Okay, road rage incident, literally, a woman shoots at a car that's leaving. 
Here's some of that video. That couple has been arrested. Let's put up their mugshots. A 40 year old woman is facing charges after Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez said she fired multiple shots at a car during a road rage incident. So the woman on the left, her name is Nasley Ortiz, has been charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Benjamin Green, who was with her, has been charged with assault. He did not have the weapon on him. Uh, background on the incident, Ortiz and Green were involved in a road rage incident with another car on, on North Freeway near FM 1960. A two year old child was in the other car. When the victim exited Parramatta Lane, Green followed in the truck he was driving, the sheriff said. Both vehicles came to a stop after exiting and according to the sheriff, Green got out of the truck, approached the victim's car and assaulted him. As the victim drove away, Miss Ortiz fired one shot through the backseat window and another shot as the car kept going. A car at a nearby dealership was struck by one of the bullets and the victim was taken to an area hospital with a possible graze wound. He is expected to survive, was in okay condition. Whoa, right? Criminal, obviously. Now, it's interesting to me when situations like this happen, why are the people never charged with, I don't know, attempted murder? Uh, because not only do you have a person shooting directly at another human being who's not armed and trying to get away from them, you literally had a child. So why do we not see a child endangerment charge here? I don't understand why we front load charges for, let's say, individuals that are black. But we do not front load those charges in situations like this when the activity was obviously egregious, criminal, severe, and could have ended in the death of an actual baby. All right, Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, like there's so many components to this. First and foremost, like why do you feel the need to drive around with a gun? Like literally, like why? Like I just like I just really want to know why people feel the need to be driving around with guns like this. And then like if it's like a road rage incident, I mean, what on God's green earth can happen on the road that makes you that mad that you would shoot at somebody with a child, a two-year-old child? I mean, seriously, for the love of God, you gotta like do some self-reflection at a bare minimum. And then yeah, when it comes to the charges of like the charges. Like you should be pretty heavy with the charges, right? Because like, you know, if you're shooting at somebody that you know you there's a kid in the car, right? Like you could be taking away somebody's parent, right? Like that's like tragic and horrific. And over what? Right? Over what? And like I just wish these people would think for a second, think what your life would be like if that if that happened to you, right? If you were that two-year-old that lost your parent. Right, because of some road rage incident, right? And this is just like, it's just, it's just this the like shameless main character syndrome where people think they're the only person that matters. And it's just, it's just sickening. Yeah, I gotta say this, if they do not up these charges to fit the actual crime, none of them are going to see jail time at all. I could guarantee you that. All right, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable. 
stick and stay. Welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read a couple of these amazing comments. Mika C. The Silverhead Dragon says, assault and battery and threatened his life knowing that he was being videoed. That's how confident he was that he would not be punished. That's right, he was well aware that he was being recorded committing all of those crimes. All right, Donald James X, so the victim is also an anti-Karen. That's correct, you picked up on that as well, yes. That's how it started, he was being an anti-Karen. C. Michael Henson, thank you C. Michael. Fascinating, the weather channel in the news, why? Because they said the N word, let's put it up full mass. They are apologizing for their use of the N word appearing in an on-screen graphic during a local weather segment. Hello Des Moines, this is your weather my N words, local on the eights. Now, just imagine if you were watching the news in this moment and you saw this flash across your television screen, you would be outraged, right? So, after journalist Matthew Keyes posted a screenshot of the image online, the Weather Channel issued a statement on Facebook. Here's the statement from the Weather Channel. A graphic during the Weather Channel Cable Network's Local on the Eights presentation in Des Moines last evening included a racial slur, okay? We, we removed this graphic as soon as we learned of it. This did not originate with us, and we're in the process of investigating it further. We apologize to our viewers. Now, when they say this did not originate with us, you know, you kind of scratch your head. It's on your channel, it's presented on your network, and it's a graphic that comes from the Weather Channel. And this was an interesting explanation. Uh, but this may actually be connected to, let's say, a disgruntled former employee. Uh, it doesn't help that the Weather Channel's owner, good brother, media mogul Byron Allen, he acquired the channel in 2018. Once again, there's speculation online that this incident was called by rogue employee or former employee of a local affiliate station. Uh, there are supposed to be checks, so things like this do not happen. Um, I've worked in broadcasting for a number of years and the staff around me, they've worked in broadcasting. Typically, there are protocols to stop something like this from going on air. I don't know if the protocols were in place or maybe the person was able to bypass those protocols. But there's a reason this does not happen normally. Uh, and naturally, I do not believe that the CEO of the Weather Channel is racist. I think Byron Allen is a stand-up guy who actually fights against systemic racism, especially in the arena of media. All right, Ben, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, like it's just one of those things where like, you know, it could be one of two things, but those two things are pretty much the same thing. And this is where I think people need to understand that, that how this is important. A lot of people on the internet are sort of like irony poisoned and they think it's funny to be racist, right? They're being racist is a meme as a joke, right? But it's not a joke. It's never a joke and it's not a meme. Like the thing is is like this is just all over the place. So like whether or not it was a disgruntled employee trying to get people in trouble or whether or not it was somebody memeing, it's kind of irrelevant because that like, you know, being a fascist for the lols is a trend that really just leads to people just being fascist. People yeah. voting for Donald Trump as a joke voted for Donald Trump, right? And so that's the reality where 
Like we've just, we're spiraling, <laughs> we're spiraling. And like to the people who are watching that, they must have woke up thinking like, did I wake up in a parallel universe? Did I go back in time? Like what happened? You know, what has happened here? And it's just like one of the, these just terrifying realities of like how far things are accelerating in the wrong direction right now. Yeah, well said. Police on police violence out of control. A cop shoots another cop trying to shoot a dog, but instead shot his partner. Here it is. Watch out. Are you okay? No, you, you shot me! Oh God! Are you okay? No, I'm ah! Echo 7, 1081. Ah! Oh my God! No, 1081. Echo 7, 1081. Yeah, the police shot the police. Very unfortunate. Knox County Sheriff's Office released this body camera footage. Documented the moments a deputy was attacked by a dog before being accidentally shot by her partner. Um, according to the partner, he intended to shoot the animal, not his partner. Let's put up their pictures for a mass here. Uh, the incident occurred after officers were responding to an undisclosed call. Officers were called to the 8200 block of Brickyard Road in Tennessee, Powell, Tennessee, around 11 p.m. On July 5th, while outside, a pit, a pit bull came around the mobile home and began attacking the deputy, Lydia Driver. Driver's partner, whose name is Jordan Hurst, you see him on the right, tried to subdue the dog, but inadvertently shot Driver in the leg, officials said in a release. Officer Driver was taken to the University of Tennessee Medical Center, where she underwent emergency surgery. All right, let's give some background here. Drive previously worked in corrections records while Hearst had previously used lethal force when responding to a triple homicide, according to the sheriff's office. Driver has worked with the KCSO, the sheriff's office since November 2015. She previously served in the records leads unit and corrections and was a graduate of the last academy class, May 2022. Hearst is a veteran officer who in April 2020 shot and killed a man with a knife who has stabbed three women to death in a plot or in a pilot station in Strawberry Plains. Let's go to the county sheriff here. His name is Tom, Tom Spangler. He issued a statement and this is what Sheriff Spangler said. Law enforcement is a dangerous profession, it is unpredictable. Officers deal with people and situations the average person would never experience in their lifetime. Sheriff Tom Spangler said, this incident is unfortunate, but we will get through it together. We are blessed to serve a community who loves and appreciates our men and women. For that, I am grateful. So Officer Driver has been released from the hospital. The cop who shot her has been placed on administrative leave. I thought you all were gonna get through this together, Sheriff. 
Here's why that cop was placed on administrative leave. Uh, he violated all protocol, that's why. Uh, he knew good and damn well you're not supposed to shoot um, a dog, even if the dog is attacking another person, if you cannot provide what's called a clear shot, okay? You can shoot an animal in the protection of life. Yes, that is allowable under the law. But you cannot endanger the individual at the same time. That does not cover you if something bad happens. Because there's an expectation based on what's in front of you that this can go the wrong way. You decided to still fire that shot. There were other non-lethal opportunities. There were other ways you took the way that you thought was the easiest officer. And you ended up shooting one of your colleagues and now you're on administrative leave. Okay, Ben, you've had military experience, but this was interesting because it didn't take all of that. There was another way to remedy this situation rather than putting a bullet in there. Yeah, I mean, like ultimately, like this is where, I mean, this is where the police training is self-contradictory. And this is something that's really important to understand, right? Anytime you're in any profession where there's any use of firearms, there should be an understanding. The training by default should really embed the core mentality, right? That lethal force is the last option, right? That you you ex expo like uh, you use every option first, right? You expire every single option before you get to any type of lethal force shooting with a gun, right? The reason why that's important is because the way police officers are trained, they're given protocols that they're trained, but the reaction, the default flight or flight response that they are trained to have is to jump to a gun as soon as you feel like you are in any type of danger whatsoever. And the reason that's a problem is because because exactly situations like this, not only because you know obviously there's instances where this is you know is with people, but in this case literally just a dog. I mean like come on, right? It's just a dog. Two people versus one dog. Like yep. I get it. Dog bites hurt, okay? But it's not going to hurt as much as getting shot. And that's where just this core mentality that overrides all the other training that police officers may or may not get is is really at the root of the problem where they shoot first and ask questions later. And there's a reason why police departments in basically any other country have pretty strict protocols about what they're supposed to do before they even think of using a weapon. That's right, it's to protect life, all right? Uh, keep in mind, this, this partner, this officer driver could be dead right now because of this particular officer that shot her. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Great Ape Apex, we have to do something about this cop on cop violence. That's right, I got another story, police on police violence again is coming up. All right, I'm with you on that. Uh, Blue Squirrel, uh, that was someone who was getting ready to quit or get fired talking about the weather channel and the use of the N word, Twitch. Uh, nerd. Hit the kiss, the weather channel is like, but rap music, <laughs> right? All right, very sad story, very sad story. A man incarcerated 44 years for a crime he never committed because of a corrupt police agency and a powerful family. Let's put up the picture before, there you go, and Mr. Simmons now. You're looking at Vincent Simmons, 70 years of age of Louisiana. That's a picture on the right 
of his mugshot many years ago. Months after his release, Simmons vows for accountability and compensation for the years stolen from him. They framed him for a sex crime that he never did. They framed him. It was systematic, it was intentional, and it was coordinated. He was locked up for allegedly raping two white teenage girls in 1977. Now back then, as long as you pointed to a black man, you were going to jail if you were the black man being pointed to. And that's what happened to Mr. Simmons. Let's put up the pictures. There you go. In the 70s, I wanna remind you, Jim Crow dictated much of his life and led to several run-ins with the police as a juvenile. He had a juvenile record, which meant you were an easy target for cops to frame you for something. The crime he was framed for allegedly occurred May 9th, 1977. 14 year old twin sisters Sharon and Karen Sanders with their then 18 year old cousin, Keith Laborde. Sharon allegedly was raped by a black man they supposedly had given a ride to before he pulled a gun on them. But according to the lawsuit filed by Simmons, it was Laborde who allegedly raped his own cousin. There's more. After being picked up by the police, Simmons says police tried to coerce him into confessing for the rape and went as far as shooting him in the chest at the police station. You heard that right. But Simmons remained steadfast in proclaiming his innocence. Simmons, second from the left on this picture, in a lineup following his arrest on May 23rd, 1977. The twins were coached into accusing Simmons and during the lineup, he was made to look guilty being the only man wearing handcuffs. The Laborde family was well connected in this parish and used their power to influence the police and frame Mr. Simmons. Look at the booking photo of Mr. Simmons, the young Mr. Simmons at that time, Louisiana State Penitentiary. On July 28, 1977, Simmons was sentenced to two consecutive 50 year terms by a jury of 11 white men and one black woman. Over the years, Simmons maintained his innocence, petitioning for his post conviction, but denied more than a dozen times. In a revealing May 2022 interview on CBS News 48 Hours, Sharon to the left and Karen Sanders spoke about the incident and Karen admitted to having had consensual sex with her cousin, Keith Pryor, to the alleged crime and on the night in question. While she still claims Simmons was guilty over the years, 
The retellings of the incident between Keith and the twins became more and more inconsistent. Furthermore, a medical exam of the twins documented at the time there were no signs of sexual assault. This evidence was withheld from Simmons' lawyer. That is called a discovery violation. Here's Simmons with his current attorney, Justin Bonus. Okay. Bonus was convinced, this attorney was convinced Simmons had been wrongfully convicted and in 2020 became the lawyer that made it his mission to set him free. Attorney Bonus said the evidence led to Simmons' case getting a fresh look by the courts. According to the lawsuit, Keith Laborde admitted Simmons did not rape either of the sisters and he had consensual sex with one of them and locked the other in the trunk on February 14th, 2022. Judge Bill Bennett sided with Simmons and vacated his conviction. After his release from prison, Simmons says he could only thank God. He wants the Laborde family and the parish officials or their heirs and in some instances held accountable for the wrongful conviction. While Simmons lawsuit does not list specific a specific dollar amount at this time, he says he wants to help to pay out in damages. He should get everything he wants. What happened here? White privilege, corruption, powerful family, cover up, law enforcement willing to do it, boom. You have a victim, a real victim, a victim that spent 44 years of his life incarcerated and he's not the only one. See, he represents a microcosm, there's a macrocosm of this dating back from the 60s, 70s and beyond. Where literally the families did not actually bribe, many of them were just powerful. And the law enforcement, the local agencies would bend to the wheel of white powerful people because they felt as if they were looking out for each other. So sometimes a bribe was not even required. This man's life was completely turned upside down because of lies. All right, being thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where like the most important thing for people to understand for this. I mean, for especially like for like white folks in the audience, right? That we need to understand, okay? Like put this in historical context. Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie came out that same year that he was put in prison, 1977. The first Star Wars movie. So think to yourself, what the 1970s and 80s represented for you. And understand that at that same time, like the late 1970s is about when sundown towns were at their peak yeah. in the United States of America. We like to think about racism as though it's some ancient thing in American history. But the harsh reality is, right, is like this, not only does this still to happen to this day, but the like extreme degree that we think of when we think about like the history of racism in the United States of America, that was happening at the same time that people were running around pretending to be Luke Skywalker, right? And it's just very, very important to put these things together because you think about anybody that you know that talks about back in my day, we were watching Star Wars and understand that their black families at the same age that had a very different experience yep. of what the 1970s and 80s were. And we're still trying to fight against the adverse policies, the racial inequity that permeates in our criminal justice systems today. A police canine locks onto a man's throat and basically rips it out. Now this is graphic, here's a video. 
So sad, the victim here, Mr. Anthony Paredes, let's put up his picture full mass. That's him with his baby girl. I'm going to give you some background to this. It happened in San Jose, California. Anthony, the man you are looking at there, was noted as an amazing singer. Never missed a chance to show off his talent, even as he struggled to keep his rocky life on track. Anthony was sang every Sunday at church, belted out tunes at family functions and love karaoke. While he can speak, he can no longer sing. His voice, his throat is forever destroyed. When the canine sunk its teeth into his throat, it shredded his windpipe, fracturing thyroid cartilage. It's horrific. You see, dogs have curved teeth. So when an officer pulled on the dog's harness, it actually tore more into the throat and became more firmly embedded into Anthony. Anthony has now become depressed, withdrawn, suffers from night terrors and needs prescriptions to go to sleep at night. Now, why did this happen? And I've said this before and I stand by it. We need to eliminate the use of canines against human beings in policing, period. We should have stopped it in the 60s when we saw what they would train canines to do against human beings. And it's bad for the canine to be forced to be in situations like that. The canine scenario unfolded February 7, 2020. When an employee at a Safeway called police saying a woman had grabbed $350 worth of tequila and attempted to run. Anthony Paredes was suspected of helping his girlfriend in that robbery and he was hiding in a trash bin when police deployed their German Shepherd to apprehend him. The episode underscores major concerns critics have been raising about the use of canines. 
Unlike other use of force options, police dogs can be unpredictable. Often leading to devastating and disproportionate injuries regardless of what a person has done. In this case, his injuries were nearly fatal, requiring two weeks in the hospital. You know, in policing, there's something called use of force measure, which means that an officer must apply appropriate use of force in order to stop or subdue a subject. When a canine is used, they can violate that use of force measure or protocol and there is absolutely no penalty for the cop. Now, I know some will push back and say, doc, the person was probably involved in the criminal act. I don't care, that's not what this is about. This is about a policy, a policy that says it's okay to use inappropriate force to almost kill a person for alleged theft. It doesn't make sense, that doesn't fly in my democracy. There's more. Uh, Anthony later pleaded guilty to one count of being an accessory and possession of brass knuckles. Possession of brass knuckles is a crime there. He was sentenced to two years in state prison. Seems hefty, doesn't it? After you saw that video, do you think that was enough punishment for this minor act? In California, there's little accountability. After police dog injures and maims someone, and state law leaves it up to each agency to, to decide how they use their canines. In fact, San Jose police deploy canines more than any other law enforcement agency in the Bay Area. 187 confirmed bites in five years, according to KTVU investigation. Let's go to the police chief, Anthony Mata. The San Jose police chief declined comment on this case due to what he called pending litigation. Anthony's attorney filed a federal excessive force lawsuit, but the city attorney has denied any wrongdoing on court papers. The deputy city attorney, Catherine Zoglin, she wrote that Anthony injuries resulted from his own wrongful actions. And that he had failed to yield to the police authority. The lawyer of Anthony countered back, said the attack highlights how vicious police dog bites can be, adding it's shameful how callous the police and the public view these canine injuries. Once again, he should have been arrested if he committed a crime. Should he have had his throat ripped out? Of course not. I'm not advocating for no police at all. I'm advocating to get rid of bad police and bad policing tactics, which this is one of them. Ben, thoughts on this case? Yeah, I mean, like, it's just nightmarish. It's just, I totally understand why this man has nightmares. I mean, seriously, he's sitting there getting his throat ripped out and he has police officers yelling at him to stop fighting the dog, are you kidding me? Police officers will get scared of 12 year olds with cell phones, okay? And water guns, right? And But somebody's man's life is in danger, right? That dog could have very easily punctured an artery and left that man dead. And yet he's supposed to overcome his basic human instincts. And the thing is, what's most like extreme about this is I can't get this out of my head. He was hiding in a trash bin. 
He was hiding in a trash bin. How hard is it to just knock on the trash bin and be like, hey, we know you're in there. Like we're two cops, we're right here. We know you're in there and we're gonna sit here and we're gonna wait until you come out of the trash bin and, and walk with us, right? It's that easy, it's literally that easy. I mean, and in like a decent like moral society, $350, right? <laughs> like you could literally sit him down and say, hey, here's the business owner, this $350. Why are you trying to hurt their business? Don't you realize this is a member of your community? What are you doing here stealing for $350? Now you're gonna have to come up with $350 and pay them back. That would be justice. Yeah. What's not justice is ripping out a man's throat That's for, right. yeah. Yeah, restorative justice would have a different approach than what happened to this man. We have more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left, all right, it's working now. All right, let me read a couple of comments, very, very short on time. A very stable photographer said, Louisiana prisons are literally full of innocent black men. Wow, uh, and uh, Demesh, it should be illegal to train a dog to attack for any reason. All right, this is an update to a story. Remember the story we did where we showed a sergeant who decided to choke another officer, a female officer, because she intervened and stopped this sergeant from harming a suspect who was handcuffed. She intervened, okay? She was choked by her supervisor. That supervisor has now been arrested, took a, took long enough. So we're talking about Florida. Florida police sergeant has been charged with assault on a female officer who attempted to de-escalate a situation when a detained suspect was being assaulted. Sergeant Christopher Police of Sunrise Police Department, that's him. He's the guy who did it. After an investigation, Sergeant Police was charged with four criminal counts, including felony battery on a law enforcement officer, felony tampering with evidence, misdemeanor assault on a law enforcement officer, and misdemeanor assault on a male civilian identified as John Bernard Similin. The incidents behind the charges happened on Friday, November 19th, 2021, when the 47 year old was said to have intentionally touched and or struck the female police officer against her will, assaulting her by holding pepper spray up to her face and assaulting the civilian man by holding pepper spray to his face. Sergeant police pushes in armed with mace, the suspect is backing away. You see it clearly, that is when, that is when, the other officer intervened and protected the civilian and actually protected the other officers because there is a duty to report rule in that jurisdiction. Which means if she did not do what she did and report the incident, those other officers will be in trouble once it was exposed based on the rule. Law and Crime reported the audio, which is no longer available to the public, has a suspect saying, if you're going to mace me, mace me. The sergeant responds, I will remove your effing soul from your effing body. The female officer hears this, rushes to this sergeant, pulls the sergeant by his belt away from the suspect. 
with pepper spray still in hand. Sergeant police grabs the female officer by the throat. Then moving his hand to her shoulder, he pushes her against the patrol car. When this happened, the sergeant was placed on paid administrative leave for five days, all right? Police who has worked 21 years in the department faces up to five years in state prison for the crimes against the officer and approximately two months for assaulting the man if he is found guilty. But that's not all, on January 19th, days after news broke about the body cam footage being shared, the sergeant is believed to have tampered, tried to tamper with evidence on his cell phone, on his cell phone. If he is convicted of this crime, he will face a maximum possible penalty of five years in state prison. And I wanna remind you that when this happened, literally the mayor stood by this particular officer. That was a culture that supported her, but, but, she had to remain isolated, why? Because they were afraid of what someone would do to her. Who's the someone they were afraid of? Not civilians, but the police. They were afraid that by her stepping up and doing what was legally mandated for her to do, in the protection of a civilian against an out of control sergeant, her supervisors believe she was in danger of death from other police. They know the police are corrupt. When they make moves like that, they're not scratching their head asking, are the police corrupt? They know it. All right, Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, that last part really just hammers down the fact that like these people that expect you to trust the police with your life don't trust the police with their own lives. That's right. And there's a few police officers that are out there doing what she's doing, who are trying to de-escalate things and do the right thing. But those police officers themselves are under threat from other police officers. And that is what is so disheartening about that. that this is a systemic problem that exists throughout police forces across this country. Yeah, farewell said. All right, we're gonna follow it. Obviously, prosecution has to happen now. Ben, always a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you and check out your great work. Yeah, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter and Substack. You can also check out my videos on Rebel Headquarters. And you can catch my show Galaxy Brain on TYT's Twitch channel every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Always beautiful, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. We got no more. <laughs> All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone 
is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's no, a I, racist I, I, policy, I, racist I, policy. Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it, though.